With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. I'm on a constant, endless journey to find my best self. You know, we, we oftentimes forget our own life resume, what we've done, what we've endured. It's not just like all the accomplishments. That's not what I'm talking about, really. It's great that I have uh, a great military background. I've done all these ultra races and pull-up records and stuff like that. But my biggest resume is just getting to the start line of that race itself. That's one of my biggest accomplishments. You know, where, where I come from in life, I should have never made it to the start line. I take the most pride in that because my starting line was way, way fucked up. You know, so it's, it's I'm, a, I'm a very deep, deep person that a lot of people don't see. They, they see the running. They see the pull-ups. They see the physical challenges. I ain't do it for the physical challenge. I didn't do any of this shit for the physical challenge. It was all for the mindset. You throw yourself into these things that are like out of your comfort zone that make you feel really uncomfortable that you don't even like, and then you achieve these massive accomplishments in them. Right. Um, but you really sort of then say, okay, but the physical training is kind of the base of anything else. Like you have to really sort of throw yourself at something physically. Right. And then I'm at a loss because I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I'm not even using it as an excuse. Right. I really don't want to run a hundred mile race. Well, it's all relative. Mm-hmm. For for me, my goals and the things I had in my mind were the impossible. At that time for me, the impossible for me is not the impossible for the person next to me. There are no special people. There's special minds. And the mind becomes developed over a period of time. And once I started to examine the mind, because I was very scared of my own brain for a long time because it, it controlled me. It took me left, it took me right, it took me everywhere. Place I didn't want to go. Once I started realizing that I have total control of this mind, I became obsessed with the human mind and human potential. Obsessed with it because I started realizing I came from this horrible fucking place. And I had, I had all this potential? How is that possible? But a lot of us die with untapped and undiscovered potential. For several reasons, you have to individually, by yourself, come outside your comfort zone and train. So I don't train for a race. People will get it all fucking wrong. I'm training for life. So, so, so how do you, let's say someone is 60 years old. Yep. They're not going to train for a race. It's, right. They don't, it's not their thing. That's not their whatever. thing. Right. Um, what are some other ways to even think about stepping out of the comfort zone every day? You know, the other thing that's interesting too is, and I've had a lot of people with SEAL backgrounds on the podcast, but sometimes 
I look at it and it's like, there's no point in our lives that we have ever intersected in terms of like background, right. like zero. Right, right. Until right. now, you know, you wrote a book, I've written a book, but that that's like, and you know, Tucker, Tucker's like one of my closest friends. So okay. uh, 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 I don't, did Tucker even introduce us or? Cause I mean, yes. Oh, did he? Yes. Okay. Um, he might have. Somebody from his team did oh, set wow. this up. Yeah, like Tucker's a great guy, right? Yeah, so smart. Yeah, I like him. Did he? He must have helped a lot with. He he cared about this book. You could tell he cared about this book. Jennifer, yeah. as far as Tucker, you know, I wasn't really involved with Tucker too much. I, I know she was, but I know he helped us out as far as like um. He he gave us his full effort for sure. He gave us his full effort. You know, like you know whatever we need because you know obviously I self published. But he was like, hey, whatever you need for me, any contacts I have. Um, but he was great to work with. I will say that. Yeah, he knows the publishing industry inside and out. And yeah. so, and and Tucker helped me with one of my books a while back, like five five years ago. It's uh, such a good guy. I remember one time I met him because somebody was trashing me on Twitter, and I was getting like agitated. And he wrote me this letter, like in the middle of the night, like you know, uh, basically giving me a pep talk. And I right. didn't know him. I'm like, is this Tucker man? And then we became good friends after that. You know what? You can't listen to any of that crap, man. Yeah, I know. That's, it's, you really, the one thing I've learned in this whole process is there's so many people who are going to hate you for whatever reason, and they're going to want to do whatever they can to make you feel like shit. Oh, wait, this is a good topic. Are we re recording that? Yeah, I'll be recording for Let's keep that. And so you, that's amazing. I, mean, I, th I think that's a great topic. Why right would there. people hate you though? Oh my God, for many reasons, man. Like you're you just know, like doing positive things for yourself. Oh, I can't believe it. Fuck this guy for running 100 miles. <laughs> Does well, someone like say that? It's that simple though. I mean, basically, you know, no one's really coming at me saying like, you know, I'm a narcissist, nothing like that yet. It's probably coming pretty soon. You know, I don't post much, I post once a week. I'm really about finding my best self and staying true to that. But the thing about it is, man, everybody's out there with their own agenda. And when you're constantly out there pushing yourself and trying to do better, and when you come from a place that I came from, you're constantly reminding people of who the fuck they're not. Hmm. It's on a constant repeat. So right. every time they see me and they see where I came from, they see who I am now, they see what's possible but they also know the hard fucking work that goes into it. It's much easier to just fucking criticize me. Right. So maybe they're they're reacting to that, and so the only way they can somehow get status over you when they're when they're feeling this because they're so insecure in themselves. The only way they can get status over you is like, I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet about this guy anonymously, right. and get my status back. Right. I'm gonna make him look like shit. I'm gonna make him look like a fraud. I'm gonna make him look like something to just make him nothing, to make him, to make everything he is, the person that he's created, I'm gonna find a way to make him nothing. In hindsight, 2020, it's making them feel better about themselves. And do you but ever you let away. it get to you? No. You know what, honestly, about five minutes, five minutes and I said to myself, what the fuck am I doing here, man? We oftentimes forget our own resume. We forget the truths about ourselves while we get deep involved in some piece of shit who we don't even know, don't know anything about them, 
Nothing about them because we put our lives out. I know I have. I put my entire life out there to say, judge me. Fucking judge me. I don't know dick shit about your ass and you're coming at me hard as you can and I'm allowing you, I'm allowing you, who I don't know who the fuck you are, to change my whole view of who the fuck I am. I got to take five minutes and say, what the fuck am I doing right now? Your intelligence has gone away, David Goggins. You're allowing a person that you don't know nothing about to bring you to a level of being pathetic. Think about that for a second. You're an intelligent guy. I can tell. You're Only allowing the glasses. It's all good. <laughs> You're allowing a human being to make you feel a different way. It's true, but I still. But here was my response reaction in my head when you were just saying that. Next time someone attacks me on Twitter, I'm not gonna. I I I should do what you just said, which is like, don't let this guy who I don't know anything about um, make me feel pathetic because who knows? I don't know him. He doesn't right. really know me. But the, my first reaction to what you were saying is, that is really great. I'm going to respond, hey, dick shit. <laughs> um, uh, you know, who the fuck are you to right. tell me? About me? So I, I, but, but you're right. I, I, shouldn't I shouldn't tweet back at all. No, really. you know what I do with that shit? I go through them. I respond to the people who are positive, people who want to be better. I get to those comments. You're always going to get them. Block, delete, move on to the next one. Yeah. That's all you got to do, man. I mean, I mean simple. It's simple as that. Yeah. Simple as that. So so uh I'm gonna we, we went right into it and I'm gonna I'm gonna interview you. First I just wanna say this is I'm interviewing David Goggins, who wrote I, I was just telling him before the podcast, his book that just came out, Can't Hurt Me. Here we are in December twenty eighteen. I can safely say this is the book I've outlined and folded pages and thought about probably the most of any book this year. And it's just an incredible book. And I have a ton of questions, but the first one is, you know, I'll give an intro in a second about where all your superpowers came from. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at first I thought when I, just in my 50 years of life and, and whatever failures and accomplishments I've had, I really thought the, if I, if someone asked me, what is the world pull-up record? The number, the, the biggest number of pull-ups done in a day. If I really thought hard about it, I would have thought to myself, okay, maybe... 27 or and and then i when i read you broke the world pull-up record and how many you did i almost thought there was a misprint like maybe you should have put plus signs where there were zeros right so like 4030 i thought okay seven if i work really hard right maybe i can get close to that but four four thousand thirty pull-ups yeah. uh you did in a 24-hour period it was your third attempt that's uh you know i i Literally, I ran on into somebody on the street when I was coming over here, and I said, oh, I'm going to interview this guy, and he did 4,030 pull-ups in a day. And the guy was like, ouch. Like, he just, <laughs> he like felt it. He's like, Feeling. he said, he must be massive up top. And I'm like, no, look at him. He's like a thin guy. Right. And, um, and then he looked at the picture. He said, oh, but he's military. And I'm like, but yeah, it's not just that. Right. <laughs> he's been in Navy SEALs, Hell Week three times. Uh, Army Rangers, uh, Air Force training. Um, and then he just tried, this guy tried to calm me down. Look, he's just a regular guy like anyone else. And I'm like, no, he really isn't. Right. So it's hard to prepare for you. You're, you know, you've achieved so many like phys physical accomplishments that are beyond the imagination. Right. I mean, I could list just one after the other, after the other. But 
you know, it's kind of your challenges at the end of each chapter that were most interesting to me. Like, for instance, when you were just talking about the, the Twitter hate, a lot of it goes back to one of your challenges where you list the things that not only you have accomplished, but life obstacles that you've overcome. Because I think that can help you build almost this, when you're feeling a little bit down or insecure, almost this resume of confidence. Like here are the reasons why you could and should be confident. I think people often forget that no matter who they are or right. what status they have or what accomplishments they have. I thought that was very useful advice. Yeah, so it's always about, you know, we we oftentimes forget our own life resume, what, what we've done, what we've endured. It's not just like all the accomplishments. That's not what I'm talking about, really. It's great that I have uh, a great military background. I've done all these ultra races and pull-up records and stuff like that. But my biggest resume is just getting to the start line of the the life of race you know you know life is a big race just just getting to the start line of that race itself that's one of my biggest accomplishments you know where where i come from in life i should have never made it to the start line you know and people think because you're born you start the race no it's not that simple it's not that easy you have to get geared up to get prepared for this big race that i call life so for me to get to the start line of that race that I call life, I take the most pride in that because my starting line was way, way fucked up. You know, I had so much to endure just to get my mind set to start this race. So it's just how I look at life as I look at the, um, the, the, the journey I've been on in life and the perspective I take on everything I, I, I see and feel and I'm a part of of life. So it's, it's, it, I'm, a, I'm a very deep, deep person that a lot of people don't see. They, they see the running. They see the pull-ups. They see the physical challenges. I didn't do it for the physical challenge. I didn't do any of this shit for the physical challenge. It was all for the mindset. Well, it seems like, it, it seems like you almost don't even, I mean, I've, I've read somewhere or, or saw somewhere, you don't even like running. No, I, I don't. <laughs> and so it's almost like you, you throw yourself into these, things you you and you you talk about this here you talk about the comfort zone a lot you throw yourself into these things that are like what out of your comfort zone that 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 make you feel really uncomfortable that you don't even like and then you achieve these massive accomplishments in them right and it seems like on the one hand you can choose the physical rom because you've had so much training and endurance training and and suffering in all this training right that you could kind of throw yourself into that and you know you know, roughly the skill sets you have to build, but, it, it, but, and I kind of tried to help myself <laughs> thinking that, okay, I'm not going to run a hundred mile race because I haven't had all the training this guy has had. Cause I'm, I'm rambling, but you did the, your first hundred mile race without even any training. Right. Um, but you really sort of then say, okay, but the physical training is kind of the base of anything else. Like you have to really sort of throw yourself at something physically. Right. And then I'm at a loss because I don't know what to do. Like I'm healthy, <laughs> but I'm not going to run. I just, and I'm not even using it as an excuse. Right. I really don't want to run a hundred mile race. Well, it's all relative. Mm -hmm. for, for me, my goals and the things I had in my mind were the impossible. At that time for me, the impossible for me is not the impossible for the person next to me. It may be very easy for them. So it's all about, it's, it's, all, it's all relative speaking. For you, it may be as simple as, as, as running a 13-miler or, or not even running at all. 
It may have nothing to do with running. You know, so that's the thing about what's that one thing that makes me go, ugh, uh, I can do this, but I really don't feel like doing this, but I know I can do it. I know I can train up to do this. And that's kind of what I chose. And, and for me, it just happened to be these very, you know, I went through hell week several times. I was like, well, I, I'm not going to pick a, a marathon. I have to pick something that's, you know, very far. So it happened to be a hundred mile race. So that, you know, my, my bar kept on moving every day in my life. Once I got through all the muck of my mind, stopping me from every single thing, a lot of us aren't open-minded. So right now, me talking to you, a lot of things you said have, it kind of closed your mind to the opportunity that I can do this versus approaching it with a mindset of, I'm sitting across from a guy who's done this. Why can't I figure out a way to do it also? So what we do in life a lot of times is we put another person, another human being, yeah, there's some people who have great genetics and whatnot. I'm not saying that, but there are no special people. There's special minds. And the mind becomes developed over a period of time, over hardening it, over beating it and beating it and beating it. Not to the fact that beating it is not like, oh my God, this guy wants to torture himself. I'm not saying that. But the only way your mind gets stronger is by making it feel discomfort and living in discomfort for a period of time. Coming out of discomfort, recovering the mind, kind of going through the process of what you went through in discomfort. So this is like your, during your recovery time, this is your time for knowledge. This is your time for reflection of what you learned during the discomfort zone. And then you go back into it with all the knowledge you gained from it. And you keep on repeating this process. And each time you go back into it, your knowledge base becomes deeper and deeper and deeper before you know it, you no longer fear discomfort because you have a greater understanding for it. So that's where my message gets lost a lot because I have like a one minute video on Instagram or some shit like that. And they're seeing one minute. They're not getting down into the deep woods of what all this is about, down to the core, down to the roots of the problem. Well, and you talk about like a lot of times in the book, you talk about callousing the mind. Right. So, so, and maybe it's just for my own benefit i sort of interpret it my own way whereas like maybe i calloused my mind through financial difficulties or relationship difficulties or and then the key is when the next difficulty happens it's sort of like you have you get stressed like let's say stress spikes and you have two ways to resolve it one is you could just say well that's just it i'm screwed this is the type of person i am the other side is i'm going to get through this and be better for it and the real practice is always taking that choice. I'm going to get better for this difficulty I'm experiencing right now because of all these difficulties I've experienced in the past. Right. But what I'm really trying to do is just justifying not running a hundred miles. Right. Which is fine. <laughs> which is yeah, that, that's basically what people always do. <laughs> they always justify why I can't do this. And then justifying it and justifying it pretty soon your mind says, you know what? Why am I doing this? This is stupid. But you know, I've, I've often lived that way. But I found out that what happens is this table is a box shape and we live right here. But outside this box shaped table, how much space is in this room? A lot. Yeah. That's our mind. Our mind becomes this box and in it is us. And what we do so well 
is that we trap ourselves in our nice, comfortable box. That, okay, I'm good at reading, writing, running, and I'm good at bench press. So this is what we do in our box. Outside the box is squats, deadlifts, you know, mathematics, science, you know, space travel, all this shit out here that I'm not good at it, so I'm going to stay in my box. I did that for several years. Once you peek over the box and you look and you see, fuck, there's a whole fucking bunch of space out there that I can grow in. So once you get outside your own box, which is your head, the growth then starts. Like for me, I was a fat guy. I lived in my box. I was 300 pounds for a long period of time. My box was much smaller than this table. But the second I got the courage to go outside my box, I became the man that's in front of you right now. On the outside of your brain, there's possibilities in this, possibilities. So, and you suggest like everybody should find, every day people should find things to do outside of their comfort zone. So like, what's, what's an example of this outside, let's say the physical realm, right. like, because, you know, like you said, you went, you know, you know, it was, you had this life change where you were, you know, working for Ecolab. You were basically, it was, it's almost like, like a movie. I feel like I've seen the movie where, <laughs> you know, you're cleaning off cockroaches in restaurants it's a true and story, you decide yeah. you're going to go, you know, be like a, a seal and you get inspired by this TV and then you go out and do it. And first you fail and then you get, you, you totally have the arc of the, the hero. Like it's the perfect right. hero's journey. And, um, but, but getting out of your comfort zone happens in a lot of different ways. And what are, what are some other ways you think people could, people listening to this could, could potentially explore where their comfort zone is and then move outside of it? So a lot of people get fooled once again with me about all the physical. This all started, this whole comfort zone shit started with me having a learning disability. So as you, if you read the book, you know that I cheated all through school had a fourth grade reading level up to my junior year. So where my being very uncomfortable happened was how I learn is very different than everybody else, than most people. Most people nowadays, you have a learning disability. Oh my God, oh my God, you, it's so bad, it's so horrible. A lot of learning disabilities mean one thing, the amount of work and self-discipline you have to put into yourself is beyond any kind of physical thing you can ever do. And I realized that at my kitchen table, my junior year in high school, when I wanted to go in the military and I couldn't read on the, I was reading on the fourth grade level and I got exposed. My life got exposed to the world and it was very embarrassing. My mom didn't even know I was cheating. You know, she was working three jobs, you know, trying to make ends meet. And, and so she got this letter from school and saying, hey, your son is flunking out of school. That's why I put my report card in there. And that's from cheating. That report card was from cheating. So, you know, I was, I was obviously cheating off, you know, the, uh, the wrong people. So, but basically how it happened was I realized for me to get in the military, I had to pass this watered down SAT. It's called the ASVAB. I failed it repeatedly, kept on failing it and failing it and failing it. I realized, okay, I have to learn pretty much from elementary all the way to high school in six months for my last time to pass this test. And it was a daunting task. We only had $15, you know, a week we could spend towards a, towards, a, uh, towards a tutor. So I had four hours a month, and I had to pretty much learn all of high school 
in a, in, a, in a period of six months on my own. So that became very difficult for me. And literally every night, I would buy these spiral notebooks and I had these manuals, mathematics, English, science, all these manuals. Basically, you know, like fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. And I would go through it and I had to literally memorize these manuals because I couldn't learn like everybody else. So I went through, I would get my spiral notebook and I would start writing each page of the manual. And I'll go back through and write like page one. Imagine this. Imagine getting a science book. And how you learn the science book is writing 700 fucking pages down four times. Four times to learn what's in this. So how I did it was, and that's for every single book. It took hours, 20, sometimes 20, and people don't believe it. A junior in high school, sometimes 20 hours during the summertime, I would spend at the table. Just repeat this shit. And I became obsessed over this process to where I could be in a test. And how I would do it was I'd be in a test. And I'd say, okay, shit, okay, 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 okay. And I shut my eyes. And I remember that was on page 420. And that's how I would be able to put the answer down. It wasn't like I learned anything. I memorized what I wrote down. I don't remember any of that shit. But that's how I learned. And that's how that work ethic, and it's very powerful when you're willing to sit down at a table for six months and not move pretty much, but to sleep and eat and go back and to learn. And that's when all this began. So you talk about how can you become uncomfortable? If you have a learning disability, don't accept it. There's some people that have disabilities that you cannot fix. A lot of things can be fixed by hard work. Not everything, not everything, but a lot of things can be overcome by outworking whatever disability you have, mental or physical. And you've, you've done this in quite a few areas. So you just mentioned the learning disability and taking this test that was so important to you. Obviously getting through Hell Week and all the different military training programs you went through was another way you had to push yourself beyond the comfort zone. Then running the 100 miles, running the hurt 100 through death valley running um uh you know doing the 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 pull-ups even and we were just talking about this going on a book tour this has got to be this is, <laughs> what's what's the worst part of going on a book tour for you honestly i'm uh you know i i talk about in the book i used to stutter real bad so trying to figure out how not to stutter people go you know, like how did you do that how did you stop stuttering because people can't do that. They go to speech therapist to do the focus of the mind. Right now, I'm with James. Every word I'm saying right now is thought out. So when I speak, as you see, I speak slowly and very, I'm very concentrated on what I'm doing. I do that with everything in life. I realized I was stuttering because my mind was so fucking fast and it Everything wanted to come out immediately because I was so amped up and so nervous of life. So basically, it, it, everything comes from a very focused, disciplined mindset. So with this right here, with all this, you know, book tour and going around, I have to constantly be on. So I'm still that kid, you know, in sixth grade, you know, six years old, sixth grade, all these times, that, you know, stuttering in the school play. 
So I'm in front of you right now knowing that there's probably hundreds of thousands of people that may see this podcast, and my mind is thinking, fuck, I got these people over here watching me. I don't know these people over here. I don't know these people over here. I don't know these motherfuckers. So my mind's thinking, fuck, I'm on center stage. That's what my mind's thinking too, though. (laughs) So there's a lot that goes, so it's very stressful. Because even though people see me, once again, doing what I do, trying to inspire people, I'm inspiring people from a real fucking place. It's not something I made up. It's not something to make money off of them. It's something. It's, it's from a real place that I came in. Right, and also you look, you know, and, I, and added to the things you've learned that were out of your comfort zone, like when you started speaking for the Navy about recruitment. Right, and you had to go in there, and 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 there was this one case where you were the first one speaking, and you had to just do it, and the the admiral said, "Oh, you could hear a pin <laughs> drop by the time you were you were finished." Right. So. So all of this, so so on the one hand, you know, we can go in the direction of like, okay, how do you do 4,000 pull-ups? How do you run 100 miles? On the other hand, the bigger topic is like what you're talking about with, with mindset and also skill acquisition, like getting out of the comfort zone, figuring out what are the sort of micro skills you need to learn to build this bigger skill. Right. So like running 100 miles, it wasn't just like you had to practice and do one mile and then two miles and three miles. You had to learn about you know, oxygen intake and how much, how do you keep your body hydrated and how do you, you know, after the races where you didn't succeed in running the hundred miles, you had to figure out what went wrong at the 50 mile point and, and figure out how to adjust for it. So you had this, you, you did have this skill from a, let's say from a teenage years, how to overcome, like who would think to write this, the textbook seven times in a row? That's like an odd thing. Right. How did you think? that that was the thing you needed to do to, to overcome this disability. You know what's funny? I, uh, I, I, as you know, I played basketball growing up. One thing I learned at a young age was repetition. I learned that the more times I did something, because I have a very slow brain. It's just a slow brain. I don't brain. believe that, but it is. that's you saying, giving an excuse, but I don't believe that. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, man, you know, how I came up, you know, my, my foundation from life was very fucked up. You know, when you're beat as a kid for no reason, your brain develops this very pause, a very slow stuttering brain. So you have to give that brain confidence. You have to give that brain, your, your brain has to sense um, pride, confidence, self-esteem. When you have none of that, you become a coward. That's the, that's the before oxygen in a hundred mile race, there has to be a belief mechanism. Before fuel in a 100-mile race, there has to be a belief mechanism. And the belief mechanism comes from within. Before I can trick you to believe that I'm not slow in my mind, there has to be a belief mechanism. So what you see in me, you see a very confident man. That confidence came from hours at my kitchen table, hours on the pavement, hours on the pull-up bar, and hours in failure. So what you're seeing now is a man that reinvented himself. But I also know where I come from. Well, and, and to, to translate that a little bit, you have your, it's, it's, it's again, one of your challenges. You have your set of things that you can fall back on and say, this is my foundation. So on that foundation, I'm building this house. And in this house is I'm running a hundred miles, I'm doing 4,000 pull-ups. And what you're saying is to build that foundation, list these things that were not only achievements, but times you've come over these obstacles, so you know that failure is not an end, but something that you've, you've already built the skill set to go through, That's and you right. know how to get through it. Failure is really the beginning. 
It's really the beginning of everything. It is the beginning of everything. That's what I found out. I failed so many times in my life, and I, and I started realizing, my God, this is just the beginning of it all. Because a person who's failing is a person that is setting their goals to a very high level, very high level. So most people who fail at something, they fail once, and they say, it's not for me. This wasn't meant to be. That's a person who's going to always be a failure. That mindset, our, our, our mind has the tactical advantage over us at all times. It knows our insecurities. It knows our failures. It knows our deepest fears, our deepest secrets. It knows the things that we don't want to share, which is why I share them. I, I, I will never allow my mind to run my life. I must be in total control of my mind, which is why whatever it wants to hide, I will share with you. Whatever, whenever it wants to go hide in a corner, that's when I become the most vulnerable to everybody. So I'm, I'm constantly reading where my mind wants to go and then go in the opposite direction. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and... I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and Having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. 
this is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldercher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use HIMS from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that? There's a whole section just with my name on it. HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. I recommend along with reading this, obviously reading the whole book, but in particular now I'm thinking of that challenge where you you list these accomplishments past the failures. goes along nicely with that goal cast video you did that concludes with embrace the suck. Yes. And so I almost encourage people not to just watch it, but to do it. Right. <laughs> Meaning they should do the video, but in their own words. Right. Because everyone should, everyone can Everyone has already embraced the suck to some extent in their own lives, right. and they can still do it. They're not going to do it in the same way you've done it, exactly. But they can still do it. They maybe they haven't done it as many times as you've done it, and and it's a good thing to just repeat it out loud that it's okay. You know, this is what like what do you think? I'm I'm going in different tangents because also you've covered so many great stuff in in podcasts that I admire: Rich Roll, Joe Rogan, Art of Charm, and so on. 
but what do you think of the educational system? Because <laughs> like here, here like they reward people for getting A's. Right. And I always tell my own daughters, don't show me the, the A's. That's not interesting. Show me where you need to learn more, where you got like a C or a D. But right. they're like, they're so afraid to get a C or a D. Like I feel society in general is so afraid to even have the smallest failures. Even, a, even like a, a 90 instead of 100 is a failure now for kids. Right. Well, I mean, society in general has just gotten weaker all across the board. So that trickles over, that kind of spills over to, you know, to the school system, to the education system. And our, you know, kids are paying for that now. Kids are paying for the simple fact that there's a lot more pressure on them and they're weaker minded. Think about that. Society now is weaker minded and there's a shit ton more pressure than what we had when we were growing up. I know I'm 43 years old. And I look at society now with how hard it is to keep up with everybody else. Because why? You can look at your phone and see how great the whole fucking world is. Because the whole world is only sharing what the fuck they want you to know about them. They're not sharing, you know, their bad shit, how hard life really is. You know, what they're trying to overcome and all those things like that. So, you know, the, the school system now, is, it's, a, it's a difficult game. It's a difficult game. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like it kind of teaches people. Uh, Steve, by the way, we're we're doing something over here, so maybe <laughs> uh, the school system now just kind of encourages people to pass a test so they can get into college. College wants them to pass a test so they could get a job, and then the college could say, "Look at how many of our stu graduates got jobs." And then you know, at the job, jobs are sort of—I don't want to say they're easy. But a nine to five job, people probably work like two or three hours a day. Yes. And then they, and then the whole goal is how many times can they take a break? How, many, how exactly. fewer minutes can they get off? And then they go home, watch TV, do all this other stuff. And so, then on top of that, not to interrupt you, but life isn't fair. Interrupt me all the time. <laughs> life isn't fair. So I work two or three hours a day. It's an eight hour job. I work two or three hours a day, but my boss doesn't treat me right. Every, everything is against him. The whole, the whole world's against him. Go ahead. No, so okay, so so start with that. What's so the person listening to this who who has that job, what's what's the first step out of, you know, they've had 40 years of this mindset. What's the first step out? Well, the whole thing about is it's the accountability. You got to have total and we use like I hate using these damn words cuz they're they're thrown around so willy-nilly nowadays. Accountability, mental toughness, grit, be all this shit, man. So I hate even saying that, it, but it's true. But I'm gonna go a step further. Self, it's all, it starts with yourself. You have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, I'm bitchy, I'm whiny, I complain, I have an eight-hour job that only work three or four hours a day. Um, we, we have to really bring it back to ourselves. We are our worst enemy, especially nowadays. We want everything to come over fucking night. All of our results have to come today if like i lose 106 pounds in less than three months it's a pretty pretty daunting task but if i had the mindset of i have to lose 106 pounds today I, like it took me 18 you months you disappear i disappear <laughs> i literally lost i i failed three times to be a navy seal it took me 18 months to be a navy seal the program's only six fucking months long so what we have to do is we have to set our new norm our new normal. What does that mean? Our new normal. When I was in SEAL training, I was getting the shit kicked out of me every fucking day. And I kept on getting rolled back to day one. 
Roll back to day one, week one. Most people would have fucking quit. But my mindset became this. This is my new normal. My new normal is I get up at four o'clock in the fucking morning and I get my fucking ass kicked every fucking day of my life. There's nothing outside of this world for me right now. This is my life. Like people who become POWs, prisoners of war. If they can't change their mind to think this is my new fucking normal, this is, this is my life. This is where I live. You have to become adjusted to where you're at. A lot of people say, yeah, you have to be able to look beyond this. Sometimes the pain is so miserable. The suffering is so intense. You look too far beyond anything, you're going to quit. Well, it, it, you, you're saying the POW stuff reminds me of, of two different stories. One is the guy, um, Terry something, who was um, the hostage in, uh, was it Libya, Steve? Yeah. Uh, I know you're talking about. But he was talking about how the hostages that survived, he was kept hostage by terrorists. The hostages that survived had some sort of faith in their lives. And then Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, where he's, uh, he, he, he uh, Terry what? Yeah, Terry Anderson. Then Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, where he was in Auschwitz, and he basically talks about how he survived and the other people who survived versus the ones who didn't. They, they didn't have necessarily faith, but they had some meaning outside of the camps that kept them going. Like his meaning was, I'm going to see my wife again. Now he never did. His wife was killed in the camps, but he had that mean, he didn't know that. And he had that meaning that I'm gonna, I'm gonna see her again. Right. And he also had, I'm gonna write a book about this, which he did do. <laughs> right. So, so do you think that's true for the things that you were doing? Like, you know, is, is a goal hand in hand with the process? Because sometimes I think the process is more important than the goal. Yes. But 100%. you focus a lot on the goal though, too. Yes. Um, I'm able to visualize. So before I start something, I have, the, I have the great ability to visualize the ending, the ending before I even start it. So, you know, I always mention Navy SEAL training for some reason. I don't know why. It's not the biggest thing I ever did in my life, but um, it is, people can relate to it because so many stories but, about it. But also, it. it was the it's your origin story. Right. right. You were Peter Parker. I was a fat guy. And then you were guy. bit by a spider. Right. In the eco lab. Right. <laughs> and right. then, boom, I've got to be a superhero after that. Pretty much. That's, that's kind of why I talk about it. You're right. <laughs> so basically, for me, through all my failure, I was still able to see me walking across to get my certificate of graduation. Mm. While I was in hell, I was able to see myself, I mean, the worst spot, 45, 49 degree water, guys quitting, your balls chafe, bleeding down your legs, fucking just this Pillsbury Doughboy, because I saw big you are from being all swollen, from being fucked up going through this training. In the worst spot of my fucking life, on, you know, 48 hours into 130 hours of hell, which is hell week, my third time going through, we had a guy die my fourth day in hell week, I'm still able to see me in victory. That's a very hard thing to do. Yeah, because particularly the guy dying, it shows you this is not a camp no. where somebody's save. just going to jump in and no. save you. No. <laughs> like, and you, and the time before that particular hell week when you had when you had failed, you also had double pneumonia like that guy did. Right. And so, so you realize what happened there, but for the grace of God, go I. That could have happened to you. It happened to me. And then it, again, when you're the first time you're doing the marathon, you're like, you know, shitting in your pants. You're 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 pissing blood, and this is serious stuff. Like yeah. it's not like oh, the doctors are just going to repair me. I can't possibly. I'm not, I'm immortal. I can't possibly die. You could 
You could damage yourself. I could have died. Yeah. I was Does that make you stop? <laughs> you know what's funny? Um that hundred mile race you're talking about, the, the the first one I did with no training, um, that was probably the closest I ever came to death in my life. The sickness about that all, and people may say, Oh my god, this guy's sick and twist. So I never go there with this. I always I always skirt very lightly. I'm so normal, it's not even funny. It's not even funny. That's the thing about it. People want to put a title on me, but what I discovered in that race when I finally got through it all and I finished 101 miles in 19 hours, when I laid in that tub and Coca-Cola came out of my penis and it looked all jacked up and I was like, I was in the worst pain of my entire life, ever, even to this day. What I discovered in that 19 hours of suffering is something that I can't even describe to people. I discovered a whole, there's a whole nother world outside of, um, outside of suffering. If you're able, I'm not saying kill yourself, so don't take this the wrong way. I pushed myself to a level that I wouldn't recommend to anybody in the world. I was obviously searching for something, then thank God I didn't die. I found it, which is why an unknown person was able to write a book that powerful. So, so, so you were saying, you're saying you can't describe it. You were saying you're searching for something and through the other side, you found it. Try a little bit. Like why, why do you think you, you went through that? You put yourself through that. Now you put yourself through that through altruistic reasons. You wanted to, you were, you, it was for a charity for, right. uh, you know, the families of, uh, you know, seal, you know, fatalities and their right. families. Um, and you did, you raised an enormous amount of money and, and everything was good, but that's kind of like a top layer reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's a bottom about... layer reason and there's middle layer reasons too. There's like, oh, I, I said I would get through this. I'm going to get through it. Right. Uh, it's it, an onion. It's right. an onion. So what's, what is the, that bottom layer reason that pushed you through? Like I might die here. At mile 70, when you have shit all over you and peeing all over you, blood all over you from trying to pee, you don't think about those guys that died. That's the sickness of it all. You're in your own shit. You're in your, basically, you know, you know, for a better term, you're in your own shit, in your own misery, in your own suffering. When you're suffering like that, I, I wasn't thinking about them. I was thinking about myself. But that's when it became really real for me. At mile 70 of this race, man, you're now there in the worst shape of your life, in the worst physical, mental pain of your life. But that's when I started to develop this whole indestructible toolbox, mental toolbox. In this next 30 miles, if I can get through this next 30 miles being the worst shape possible, I'm going to the start line of a 30 mile race pretty much now. I've already, ran, I've already gone 70 miles. Now I have 30 more fucking miles to go. That's a long fucking way to go if you're fresh. Let alone if you're in the worst shape of your entire life starting a 50K pretty much. There's great power in that mindset if you can figure out how to twist all this shit up amongst all the pain and the disgustingness on you, if you're able to calm your mind down, because my mind was spastic. It was thinking, man, you're dying, you're fucked up, your blood pressure's messed up. It was saying, go, get out of here, man. Go away. But I was able to calm down for one second and say to myself, if I can pull this off for some reason, find some more inside of me this will change everything 
and no one even for you for me in your mind for me in my mind but see the thing about there was no crowds there was no cheering section there was no witnesses like i had my ex-wife there and a couple people saw who were by me this is me against me and that was the beauty of it all the only thing i can possibly get from this is either dead or great knowledge and i I rolled the dice and what, and what came up of it all was great knowledge. And, and you allowed yourself to say, okay, in, in some cases, for some of these feats, you allowed yourself to say, okay, I physically can't move anymore. Like it wasn't oh, yeah. even up to you. Like I physically cannot I was done. lift my feet. Yes. But then you go back three months later, four months later, I think it was like eight months later or six months later, you ran, you actually ran a hundred mile one after the first time. And then I liked um, the guy who was, wanted you to run some hundred mile races so you can get into the Death Valley race. Yes. I liked how he, you wrote him and said, look, I just did the hundred mile race, did a hundred miles. And he's like, yeah, but you didn't, it was a 24 well, hour race. Yep. You didn't run the full 24 hours. You only ran 22 and a half hours. Right. And like, how did you feel when you got that uh, message? You know what, when I got it, it was, uh, cause that was after the first hundred mile race. I thought, my God, this is the most amazing thing. You know, I've, I've gone through SEAL training, Ranger school, all that shit. So this is the most amazing thing I've done in my life. I was in the worst shape of my life and I, and I, and I overcame myself. I did this and when I got, cause he knew how fucked up I was, I don't believe, or I know for a fact he didn't. So when I got the email back from him in the car. It was like, I just ran hundred and one miles in, in 19 hours. And you're like, the whole idea of running a 24 hour race is running 24 hours, you know, still put your application in. So he was like, almost like my biggest accomplishment. He almost said like, fuck you. Yeah. And I was like, God dog. But what he doesn't understand that he tried me again, which is why I went off to Hawaii with fucked up feet and everything else to go to the Hurt 100, which is probably to me, the top three hardest trail races in the world. And I didn't know this. I was still ignorant to the sport. And basically a month and a half later, I was out there towing a line, you know, in a race that very few people had ever completed. And it was another 100-mile race with 26,000 feet of climbing over 100 miles in the trails of Hawaii, rocks and roots, and it's, it's, it's crazy. The, I mean, the terrain is nuts. And I went out there and completed that race and got in the bad water. So all he did was made me a better person without even knowing it because I accepted the challenges that he didn't even know he was even putting down on me. You know, so, that's, so he, he really helped me out a lot with just being who he was. And, and, and I think also this idea of never resting on your accomplishments, you know, always there's another way to get out of the comfort zone. And part, I get the impression from your book, this is not about, you know, you use your physical feats to demonstrate this, but this is all about how a human should live, like constantly pushing past that, that comfort zone, whatever it is, whoever you are. If you're, if you're a 90 year old physicist, go that extra step of trying to figure out, you know, the theory of the universe or exactly. whatever. And, and, you know, him saying that showed you that there's, there's space, right? There's space to move still. Right. It's not like, and how do you feel like writing this book? Everyone's saying, oh my gosh, read this book. It's incredible. It's great. It's, it's how you should live. I think it's going to be, do you think, or maybe I'm wrong, but do you think it'll be a challenge for you to now say, okay, what's next? What's, What's the next way I'm going to be out of my comfort zone? You're 43. You've done, you're not going to go through Navy SEAL training again. <laughs> you're probably not going to do 4,000 pull-ups again. Right. Like, what do you see as, and, and now also you're, you're, you wrote a book. You're doing things that were completely out of your grasp when you were 15 years old. Right. 
what's next in terms of getting out of that comfort zone? Honestly, on a daily basis, I'm doing it. I didn't really realize it because I've, I've always set forth to do the physical and mental combined to see what I'm about. And I was constantly fighting this guy of I have to go back to my roots, which is always important. I always believe in going back to your roots. But my next journey was always in front of me. I was writing this book as I lived. And this book is touching hundreds of thousands of probably millions of people. Um, yeah, sorry. By the way, as you mentioned, it came out when? Like a week and a half ago? Come out, yeah, it came out December 4th. And for first week of sales, we're over 250,000 units sold, which is incredible for a self-published book, which we'll talk about in a second. But sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, so so again, you're you're like you've achieved this incredible thing. What's and like you say, uh, uh, this is not about looking back at your roots and showing kids who maybe made fun of you because of right. your learning disability. Now you have to move forward like way beyond them. Right. You have to figure. They're not even in the picture anymore. Right. What's what do you see as a challenge? How do you challenge? Not like what is your challenge, but how do you challenge yourself? The book itself was a major challenge for me because, as you know now, probably all the deepest, darkest secrets of my life. You know, so to go where I went to be totally like totally vulnerable. Cause I used to be, I used to hate being judged. So that's why I made up a whole other person, a person that you cannot judge, a person that whatever you liked. I liked when I was growing up. I don't give a fuck what it was. Just as long as I saw exactly what you saw to make you feel good, I was good. Because then you accepted me and that's all I ever wanted. To show people my entire life and the hell I came from, all the issues I had to go through to be where I'm at today, that was a challenge in itself because as I'm writing this book and I'm reading it back to myself, I'm thinking, fuck, I want people knowing that shit about me. Like, there's going to be fucking people out here I don't even know. Like, could be judging me, saying, what the fuck's wrong with this guy? What's wrong? You know? So that in itself was another block. Right, of, but but it's one, and sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, but, you're fine. You're but fine. That, that's one where you even address that type. Like, if you're not scared. That's right. Then, you, then, then you're still in your comfort zone. Like, that's right. Like, this was something you were scared of, but at this intellectual or emotional level, not this physical level. Like, right. what are people going to think now that I've revealed this? Right. And that was a fear you had to get through. Because that's the best writing, by the way, too. That's 100%. So that's it. So I'm, I, I constantly live what I preach. It's not like now I'm at a point in my life that I'm like, oh, hey, I'm good. I can tell you what the fuck I want to tell you. I'm good here. I'm good. No, every day is a constant, is a constant battle against myself. Because you're constantly fighting your mind, trying to pull you back into this comfort zone. People think that now where I'm at, I'm totally uncomfortable. I'm good to go. I, I can go fight the world. I'm on, a, I'm on an everyday battle of fighting where my mind wants to take me, which is this nice, comfortable, relaxed spot, which you have to visit every now and then to recover, recoup, gain knowledge, because you need a quiet mind to gain that. Sometimes in this uncomfortable discomfort zone, I talk about often, it's very loud. It's noisy. It's uncomfortable. It's not civilized. That's why you have to come out of it every now and then to gain your real knowledge. Because in it, you have to have enough sense to write down in your mind what you're learning in there about yourself. It's all about learning oneself. And you don't learn oneself by sitting at home in a 72-degree temperature room 
watching football. It's impossible. So everybody who thinks that my message is crazy, you're, you fucking missed it, man. You don't find peace before you struggle. You find the greater peace you will ever find through the struggle. People want to skip that phase of life. So, and you, you know, you, you remind me when you say about the watching the, the football game, you have another challenge. First off, the book's great in the sense that you have all these stories and you interweave it with these challenges that helped you, but could help others kind of overcome these, these hardships or these points in life where you want to stop. But one of the things you mentioned is, you know, there's 168 hours in a week, list what you do during the week. Do you spend seven hours watching TV? Do you spend, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one stat that you might not know. The average American spends four hours a day on their phone. I know so, that for a fact. <laughs> so that's 28 hours a week. Yes. So, so what can you do in those 28 hours? So you kind of, you know, not only do you take stock of all your achievements and, and plus these times where you overcome obstacles to build this foundation, but now to succeed, another thing is to take account of all the things you do that might not be moving you towards a process and a goal. Right. So, and that's important as well. But then, you know, one thing I'm wondering is for you, you developed this amazing ability to, I mean, we've talked about the, the mental things that you've, you've overcome and achieved, but really the, the, the bulk of the book is, okay, I'm going to get through the 4,000 pull-ups. I'm going to get through Navy SEAL training army ranger training, all these physical things that were amazingly difficult. And you talk about the other stuff, but I'm wondering on an emotional level too. Like when you were growing up, you were, you experienced abuse from your dad, your mom, you saw your mom experiencing abuse from your dad. Abuse is a very difficult thing, obviously, emotionally. And people tend to, um, people t tend to inherit that. Mm -hmm. So like with your own children, have you ever had to deal with you know, how did you overcome, you know, the challenge of being a good parent when you hadn't seen that example? And that obviously is something that was out of your comfort zone. Right. I, I don't, nobody even knows what it means to say good parent. So that's the wrong word, but obviously an abusive parent is a bad one. Mm -hmm. Did you ever feel like that was something that was out of your, you had to push? You know what? I know I never felt, I never felt that because you have to, you have to be able to go back to the source. So it allowed me to grow is I had to go back to the source. And the source was my own father. So when you have all this hate, you can't move forward with hate. You, you just can't. I, I tried for years to move forward with hate. And it was effective for you for a while. It, was, it, was, it got me to the start line of a lot of uh, things I did in my life. But it never allowed me to finish. It never allowed me to finish. Whenever, like, whenever I got in a, like in a serious situation of pain or discomfort, that hate was gone. It was me against me. So I realized hate can get you there to the start line, but it can't get you through it, at least for me. So for me, I realized hate kept me from fulfilling everything I needed because it was almost like an anchor. It kept drawing me backwards. So with my father, I had to go back and I had to see where the hate came from, from him. Why were you such an evil person towards people who did nothing wrong to you? So I had to you know, examine this man that was so, he was so evil. And that's where I, I learned where I came from. And therefore I can start fixing things. Once you learn where you come from and you examine where you come from, you can start fixing things. Looking at where 
he came from, did you ever find, you know, in order for yourself to move forward rather than just, you know, burning yourself to the goal by powering it with hate, when you learned where he came from, did you ever find like a sense of forgiveness? Like, oh my gosh, it was so horrible what he had been through and that's why he was the way he was. You know what, the thing about him is that I, uh, I forgave him because I understood where he came from, you know, you know like kind of where he came from. He was a very insecure man. His life led him that way. So I had to forgive him, but I forgave him in a way that I never talked to him again. Hmm. So I went back when I was 22 years old. We left when I was eight. Went back when I was 22 to see him again. And I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm and, good. And I think, I think that's a big realization too, which is that just because someone has an, impo an important label that society gives it, like father or friend or whatever, boss, spouse, whatever, uh, they don't have to stay in your life. That's right. <laughs> like these are just man-made terms. 100%. And you need to be around the people. Like, did you ever get a sense that, okay, I've got to always trim the people who are bringing me down and keep, it's like what you said before about Twitter, delete and block. That's right. I trim everybody, mm -hmm. especially nowadays. I, since this book came out, I have people texting me. I haven't talked to in 10 to 12 years. And they think I'm going to answer the phone. I know why you're texting me. So the whole thing about it is this, you have to trim away the fat of your life. You may only have a, a core group of people in your life. And the, and the bigger, more successful you become, the smaller my group is becoming. Because I want real authentic people in my life People who don't want me for any reason, but they enjoy my company. I want nothing from you. I don't want to gain success. I don't want to gain popularity. I want to get, and those are the people that I keep in my life. So this is, this is an off tangent question. Uh, I, I don't know if you've been asked this. I'm just curious about this. How many like good friends do you think uh, an adult should have in life? <laughs> oh, I can't. I mean, I'm going to answer the question for me. Yeah, but I'm just curious in general. I honestly believe you should have a couple of friends, a couple of good, a lot of acquaintances, people who know you, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I don't have hardly, I have my fiance, I have my mother, and I had a best friend growing up in high school. Johnny. Johnny, that I talk to every now and then. Um, but he has his own life. I'm a grown-ass man now. I have responsibilities beyond going out and hanging out with some guys. I have, I have a whole different lifestyle. So it's just, uh, I don't have hardly any friends at all. But you know, Johnny's an interesting story because you mentioned your report card that your mom saw where you had lied and cheated and she didn't realize and then right. boom, now it was all in the open. Johnny and you together basically forged the grades on that report right. card. That's the last time you mentioned him in the book until the acknowledgements. So I realize you're still friends with him. But that's an interesting thing that through everything you've been, and obviously he went in a different direction. Right. I don't know what direction he went in because you never mentioned him again, but you still kept that friendship. It was a very distant friendship because once I got on my journey of real life, I was truly alone. I was battling. Like when I was 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, well, all my so-called friends, they were now in college, they were drinking, they were going out on dates, you know, the whole typical guy thing. I wasn't doing that shit. I was in the dungeon of life. I was trying to figure out, I have to overcome this man. So my night times in my room were spent studying, 
My, my days were spent running and working out and dissecting, doing a live autopsy. I was, a, I was my own guinea pig. So I realized I was very unique at a young age. That's another reason I have a lot of friends because I'm very, I'm, I'm very different, but I love that I'm different. And once I started to examine the mind, because I was very scared of my own brain for a long time because it, it controlled me. It took me left, it took me right, it took me everywhere, places I didn't want to go. Once I started realizing that I have total control of this mind, I became the mad scientist of my brain. So while everybody was, was gone, I was in the lab and the lab was myself. So that's where my friendships, not like I, I didn't like people, I became obsessed with the human mind and human potential, obsessed with it because I started realizing I came from this horrible fucking place. And I had, I had all this potential? How the fuck is that? I mean, how is that possible? But a lot of us die with untapped and undiscovered potential for several reasons. I can't explain why. I can explain why for me, but we all must go back through that process. Well, well, I think, I think you do explain it though in the book um, with the 40% rule. So, so basically your brain which is not the brain you call you know the governor, the governor of your life the brain is not, is is on your side but but oddly is not necessarily the smartest ally you have 100% so so when when you kind of hit 40% capacity your brain is saying you know you know whoa david let's let's slow it down now you might you might get in trouble that's right so so your point is your body and your mind and let's just separate out the mind from the brain for a second your body and your mind can handle you know up to 100% right but the brain that is going to start screaming it's going to start hey telling your organs hey break down so david doesn't go That's further a true statement. so so a lot of it is just figuring out how to kind of break through the barriers that the brain is putting in front of you right it's a whole process that but it's different for everybody and and so to get to that 99.9% .9 that you're looking for, the 100% you're looking for, it takes a long process. It takes actually examining yourself. Because so it's examining yourself in the present, which is what you say before, like look back at your right. accomplishments, look back at not just the accomplishments, but the times you've gone over fear, look at how your day is spent and is this maximizing you towards you know life improvement? It's this 40% rule acknowledging that uh, you're not at capacity and you could be pushing it more. It's this idea that you could kind of, you should practice getting out of the comfort zone at least once a day or more. What else? It's huge reflection. It's huge reflection on what you overcome. Like, so in the hardest time of your life today, let's say today you hit rock bottom. Something happens to you where today is the hardest time of your life. I guarantee it's not. What we do and what our mind does, it has a great way of trapping us in today where we forget all the life training. Life's the, life is the most amazing training ground ever, ever. But we don't look at it that way. So we forget all the shit we've gone through. So our mind gets obsessed and it gets all wigged out and it gets all crazy and spastic about, oh my God, I lost my job. I lost this. I lost everything. Right now, today, this is where it's at today. So what we, so this 40% rule, a big part about this, not this, uh, uh, one of the steps in this, is we have to be able to reflect. So even the toughest man in the world, we forget how badass we truly are in times of need. So what I'm saying is you must go back. When you're in the worst spot of your life, 
and reflect, oh, I can fucking get through this shit. Why? Because in 1992, this and this and this, that was the worst year of my life. Well, it's interesting to me because the first, like I hit a rock bottom at one point, let's say when I lost all my money, lost my first marriage, the whole thing. And I was scared, had no one to talk to, whatever. But it took a long time because that was the first time I really felt like I was hitting a rock bottom. I didn't, you know, wasn't abused as a kid, kind of had an, not that I had a super easy life, but this was definitely a rock bottom for me. I thought, oh, it's over. Right. I've lost everything. This has never happened to me before. Took like a good seven, eight years to kind of get over that shame and, and figure out how to overcome. Now, this it happened again. Took maybe three years. It happened again. It took maybe one year. That's right. So each time it took shorter and shorter. But I wonder if there was a way to short circuit that first. I regret the seven years it took to overcome the first time. There's a, a definite, definite. So what happened to you was this. Sometimes in life, the way you grew up is sometimes counterproductive to how your mind is thinking at that time. If you've never suffered and never suffered deeply, never experienced deep failure, any of that shit, and then you experience it for the first time, it could be 20, 30 years. You're 30 years old. I was 30 years old. Think about that. You, your mind should be what people think mature. Your mind is not mature because you're fucking age. It doesn't happen that way. There's 70 fucking year old people who haven't matured yet because life just happened to be good. But at 70, bam, their daughter dies. Fuck, what the hell happened? I was lucky enough. And this is how I look at my life. I was lucky enough to where I experienced so much hell, so much failure, so much everything that whenever it hits me i get through it right and so i agree with you like and i think so how can you get through it not experiencing any of that shit right right that's what because now i could have that viewpoint right particularly if i'm affected financially or emotionally or whatever i feel like i could fall back on oh been there done that i can handle this if i broke down in a hundred mile race i couldn't do it right but but again, those first that first time, and I was actually I was thirty two, and and then seven years moaning about it afterwards. And that's why I wrote the book. Why? Because even for those people who have a great life, you need to read this book because it's going to teach you what having a great life is not going to teach you. It teaches you you have to individually by yourself. Come outside your comfort zone and train. So I don't train for a race. People will get it all fucking wrong. I'm training for life. So, so, so how do you, let's say someone is 60 years old. Yep. They're not going to train for a race. It's, right. They don't, it's not their thing. That's not their whatever. thing. Right. Um, what are some other ways to even think about stepping out of the comfort zone every day? Very easy. So let's say you're 60 years old. And your main thing now is I'm retired, great life, things are great. Start waking up early in the morning at a time that is a time that, why am I doing this? I'm retired. I think the why is important because you kept asking throughout the book, why am I doing this at your worst moments? That's right. And if you don't have the answer to that question, you will never get to the end of it. But maybe the answer is simply... 
David Goggins said, get out of the comfort zone every day. Well, the answer is this. The answer is you have to start preparing your, your, your mind for life. That's the why. That's the, and, and my, what, what I did is different from everybody else's. Like that 60-year-old person, I didn't suggest start having a very disciplined, regimented life. What that means is, yeah, still enjoy it. You're retired, whatever. But you're always in, I call it boot camp. So in boot camp in the military, they make it extremely hard. They make it to the point where you become almost a robot. You become very disciplined. And all you think about in boot camp is getting the fuck out of boot camp. I cannot wait for this to end because I want my life back. I took a lot from boot camp and going through Navy SEAL training. What, what I took from is our mind wants to find the graduation so fast. I want to graduate. This mm. sucks. I want to get through this. There's, you are the sharpest you've ever been in your life when you're in boot camp. You're, mil you're, you're dressing the parents, your, your bunk, your hospital corners, 45 degree angles, your, your, your rollback fold is six inches. It's a, it's a dollar bill. Your, your pillow, your shoes, you look the best. You're the sharpest. Your essay, which is your situational awareness, is the best it's ever been. Why the fuck do you want to get out of boot camp so badly? Why? You're the best person you've ever been in your fucking life. But it's hell to be on every day of your life. Your mind wants a break. So what I'm saying is this. You have to develop a little mini boot camp. Whatever that is for you. So getting up a little early. A little earlier. Making sure your house is a lot cleaner. If you left a dish in there, clean it. It starts out very small. Yeah, and I think you even you even have a list of simple yes. things at one point. I know I bookmarked it, but now I got so many bookmarks in here. But and yeah. you'll be shocked. People go, why, did, why in boot camp are they so like about your clothes being a certain way, folding your shirt a certain way? It's building a certain kind of mindset through the smallest. You're like, my God, if you just make a bet a certain way every day, every day, if you... Shine your shoes or wear your shoes a certain your mind starts to develop a very systematic pattern versus being slovenly. I'm just gonna wake up whenever I want. There's no schedules. My life is free flowing. The second you get your mind and you shake and say, look, motherfucker, this is what we're doing today. Your mind now has a process. So whenever you go through hard times, your mind is already set up in a in a in a in a process. It knows. I'm disciplined. But when you're willy-nilly and your life is this and you wake up and you float through life and everything is fucking grandiose, your mind is not disciplined. So how the fuck are you going to handle a hard time if you've never started this? Like when you read and write. You don't just start reading and writing. You start sounding words out. That's all this is. I'm not saying go to boot camp, but I'm saying you have to develop a self-discipline so then when your mind gets to those hard parts like you did at 30, your mind has self-discipline to where it processes what you went through very differently. You know, and it's funny because ultimately when I was bringing down the time between failures, it was as a result of applying some discipline. That, exactly. was, the, that was the only it's correlation. Only and I just want to say on page 67, you have the list, you know, make your bed like you're in the military every day. Pull up your pants Shit for you. Shave your head every morning. Cut the grass. Wash all dishes. Right. So these are just kind of like, it's it's sort of like uh, like Tony Robbins once told me something on this podcast. 
if you want to teach somebody how to shoot a gun, don't put the target 100 yards away at first. Put it just three yards away. Get them to hit the bulls every time. Then put it four yards away, five yards away, and so on. Which I thought was an interesting analogy. That's all it is. And it's literally like the whole thing about a dish. Be like, what's the thing about the dish? A lot of us, I guarantee you, you look in your kitchen sink right now, you look in your kitchen, there's something in there that you could have done a million times as you pass by that kitchen. It's having that discipline of saying, this is out of place. I'm not saying become OCD, but I'm saying this doesn't belong here. Put it up. A lot of us, it's okay if it sits out there. It's fine. It's okay if I throw my pants right there. It becomes okay. So your mind becomes very okay and undisciplined. Well, and then I, I, I really want to find this one quote. I kept, I kept reaching quotes in the book where I thought to myself, aha, this is what the book's about. <laughs> and then like 10 pages later, I oh, had another quote. Oh, this is what it's about. Yeah. So, but there was one quote in particular. Uh, actually, there's a lot of quotes, but they were all kind of, okay. This is the, the point where the commanding officer is talking to you uh, uh, or talking to the audience, the, the people who are graduating. He says, in a society where mediocrity is too often the standard and too often rewarded, there is intense fascination with men who detest mediocrity, who refuse to define themselves in conventional terms, and who seek to tr transcend traditionally recognized human capabilities. And he said, this is exactly the type of person, you know, someone who graduates from Navy SEALs is becoming. Right. And so what I'm wondering is, is the flip side of greatness mediocrity? Um, As opposed to, hey, I might want to have, you know, I might not be great but I'm gonna have a good life of well-being in a variety of ways. I don't it, believe you can ever think that way. And I'll probably piss a lot of people off. No, I you, mean, this is what you, this is the heart of it though. You, you cannot think that way. You can't ever think that way. Um, you must never give yourself a way out and say, I'm, this is a good life, I'm, I'm good here, this is good. You can never be satisfied with a lot. You must always find your new 100%. Yeah, I'm not running 100-mile races right now. I'm not going through SEAL training right now, nor do I want to. I have to find my new 100%. You are constantly, if, if you are just living a life that you're nice and comfortable in, you're not going to totally reach the, your full expect. Like, we have this cap somewhere it's somewhere we all have one you're with, with that mindset you're never going to reach there and the whole thing about you know we live in a society where mediocrity is often rewarded we do and those men that become very uncommon some navy seals not all of them the hardest part about those men that that that, that guy's talking about that that commanding officer is this the hardest thing in the world to do is to stay uncommon it's the hardest thing in the world to do. Even the great Navy SEALs, the, 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 the greatest of the great, they're tired. They want a way out. The hardest thing in the world is to stay uncommon. But those people who never even have the mindset of trying to get there, those people who you were talking about, you know, you know, you know what, do I have to be great? You know, what's, you know, like, you have to find what greatness is in yourself. I truly believe that. And so, so, so that's, so let's say that's the first step is, is, you know, finding your next 100%. Um, and you've mentioned in the book, you even have to become uncommon to the uncommon. 
So what does what does that mean? Even pushing past the hundred percent. So it is this: um, most of us, even in the uncommon realm, believe that we're at the hundred percent. And when you start to become uncommon amongst the uncommon, you piss a lot of people off. That's another reason why I don't have a lot of friends, because I'm on a constant, endless journey to find my best self. And so, when you're that way, and you're amongst a lot of alpha males, people don't like that shit. But you, there's always an angle, there's always a way you can become better even amongst the best. Because why? There's 24 hours in a day. Sometimes, you know, in the SEAL teams, we'd be on, on a training thing and we would train until one o'clock in the morning. As I'm training, I know what everybody's thinking. I cannot wait to go home and go to sleep. We've been training now for 20 fucking hours. Just want to get some rest. I know they're thinking that way because I am also a normal man who became uncommon. So all these great uncommon men that I'm working with, I know they're tired. I know they're fatigued. This is where I'm going to strike. When you all go to sleep, I am now going to go to the gym. All it takes is 35 minutes. And the energy you get from seeing these great men bed down for the night and you go put your gym clothes on, having done the same thing they did all day and all night, just as tired as them, and you take that 35 minutes to take your ass to the fucking gym. What's, what's 35 minutes? It's all the difference in the world. So, so right. So that's all the difference in the world in that scenario, and it's, and it's measurable. It's that 35 minutes. But what about something where you've been pushing yourself, you've been pushing yourself, you have a goal, you have a process, you're training, and it's a very specific concrete goal, like running the 100 miles or doing the pull-up record. Uh, now, when do you say to yourself, you know what, if I'm going to be uncommon among the uncommon, I'm not only going to do this, but I'm going to spend an extra two hours with my fiance going dancing. How do you, that's a more intangible. Right. So how do you kind of fit that into your mind? It's the same way. It's the same way. Um, like for instance, what, what you just said there, you have to see where you're trying to be uncommon at. Hmm. Most people on hundred miles, they're, you know, they're, they're bed down for a couple of days. They're relaxed and they're eating a bunch of food. Where you want to become, you know, you know, become uncommon is in that category. So that, so it, it works everywhere. It works everywhere. You have to take advantage of it, but you first have to see it. You first, like, so when you run 100 miles, you got to say, you know what? I haven't spent time with my fiance tonight. I'm going to run 100 miles. I'm going to purse even further. I'm going to go dancing with her for two hours. But you have to be thinking about that while you're in it. So you can't be so focused on one. Right. Like, like uncommon of the uncommon is. You got to be the, hyped. The first uncommon is just they're only going to be focused on That's the right. one crazy goal. And, it's, and once it's over, it's done. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing about it. My mind is thinking about what's next while I'm in the suck. So I'm able to hyper-focus while in the suck and saying, I got another thing I'm going to one-up you fuckers on now. It's not like really a competition with them. I may say you fuckers, but you fuckers is really me. I'm going to take this to another level. So a lot of people, they're thinking, my God, this 100-mile race is amazing. It's, it's, I'm almost done with the 100-mile race. This is almost over. It's no longer amazing anymore. I'm about to complete this. I got to find enough energy now to do the next. So, so, so 
related to this is now you have a life where you have many things going on. You right. wrote a book, you're going on a book tour, you're giving speeches, you're a firefighter in Montana, uh, you, you consult and give advice to, to various people. Uh, do you ever feel like because your day is now divided up into totally different types of activities that you can't ever pursue greatness in any one of them? As of right now, that's the case. Does that frustrate you? It has been the hardest thing in my life. It has absolutely been the hardest thing in my life. I dealt with it this morning. I dealt with it last night. What, what happened? Like, what did you do this morning? Like, you want to be where I've always excelled at is being secluded from the world, being disciplined in my schedule, being disciplined in my practice being disciplined in me getting better. So right now, what you just said, you just pretty much said my schedule in its entirety. I'm all over the fucking, I'm on planes, I'm here, I'm here. To pull off your best effort, you need total focus. Your mind cannot be, I'm gonna meet with James, and then from James, I got two more podcasts, and I got fuck, you can't. Because why? I have to bring my best to James. There's once a time in my life where there was no James. There was no book. There was this David Goggins trying to get somewhere. There was a lot of focus time in there. Now that focus time is spread out almost 24 hours with people you're helping and this and that. So you now have to almost, I have to accept the fact, sometimes you got to listen to these voices in your head. I have a voice in my head I always listen to. That now your journey and the journey that's taken you this far has inspired people. As badly as you want to go back into that cave in which made you who you are, you're gonna now have to find a way to be who you are outside the cave. That is the next challenge for me. That's, your, that's the new cave, really. Right. In a noisy world, that's noisy as fuck, where I get no strength from at all, I'm gonna have to find the most strength I've ever had to in my life. And so, so, so I'm really interested in this. So what do you do? Like this morning, you're feeling this. You have to go to James's podcast and two more podcasts. You have to talk about the book again. Uh, when, when are you going to get to work out? I'm going to assume you woke up early and you worked out, but you're feeling that frustration. Like this is not me. And this is not the direction I wanted to, to go today necessarily. If I had my ideal choice, how do, you, how do you correct course in your brain? What do you, what do you say to yourself? That's the beauty of life. That's what got me here. That's what got me to that book. Is finding the suck that I'm in right now, going back in my mind and figuring it out. So how I find beauty in everything. There's, there, 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 there's great beauty in the fact that that book was written in a world that I was in then. God, the forces above, have now forced me into a whole different world that I have to now recreate another human being. So I created Goggins to write that book, to be that person in that book. I had to create a special man, almost a superhuman man that can take pain and suffering and, un and being judged and being uncomfortable, all the things I once hated in my life. Now I'm forced at 43, almost 44, to recreate another human being to still get my 
That's, that's the great thing about life. We all want to stay in this one spot. I even want to. This is me. It's who I am. I like who I am. Right, and now in particular, you're getting outside validation right. from the world. Wow. That's a huge dopamine hit. This is great, but that's not, but what's, great, but what's crazy about me is I don't ever get a dopamine hit because mm. I constantly live in the world of none of that shit matters. That's why when people, you know, write those horrible messages to me, I don't listen to it. Because the more you listen to the dopamine shit about how great you are, it gets to everybody. You must always realize, man, you are still learning. It's great to see I've, I've touched people's lives. That's one book of another, of, of, of many. I'm not saying I'm gonna write another book, but I'm still living. I'm still figuring out life. I'm still figuring out the, the, the beauty of uh, the human mind. But so how did you deal today with the suck? That's what I did. Because I, this I is, found this, the beauty this... in it. I found the beauty in it. I, I sat back in my woe was me, poopy pants, like, fuck, what the fuck has happened to me? Like what? Again, why am I what, doing why? this to myself? Why the fuck, man? This is crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm totally not who I am. Like, I'm doing all these fucking podcasts. I'm doing this <laughs> shit. I need to go back to my fucking hole, which I will. But right now, my mission in life is, is I have to get this out to people. Why? I wouldn't be doing it this strongly if it wasn't affecting so many people. So now I have to find beauty in the fact that I don't like this shit. I don't like talking about my life. I don't like saying, you know, I ran 100 miles. I did this. I did that. Who gives a fuck? But someone does. So there's great beauty in the simple fact that it's a sickness almost. Like I'm able to find beauty in the fact that this really fucking sucks. This really fucking sucks. Who would ever think? I never sat out on this journey to write a book. When I was fucking eight years old in a $7 a month place, couldn't read, couldn't write, my mom never, never home, having no mentors. Who would ever think at 43 years old I'd write a book? That's the beauty of where I'm at today. As fucked up as it is, I know me. I'm going to make fucking out of rocks. I'm going to make a fucking good lemonade out of fucking rocks because I know how to process all this shit. I, I have figured out the process of but, the mind. Right. So, so, but at 43 though, it's like you say, you're not going back to Navy SEAL training. You're not going to uh, break the next pull-up record. And this is your life. You're writing right. books, you're doing consulting, you're doing you know, you're keeping in shape and you're doing the firefighters and you're doing, I'm assuming still charity stuff and, and consulting and speak public speaking. This is your life now. So do you, to an extent, mm -hmm. to an extent, like, how do you make sure you stay on course for, you know, what if something really does suck and you don't want to do it anymore? It goes back to your roots. Mm -hmm. What has, what has made me who I am today is constantly going back to my roots in understanding that there's a process. And you have to, like I talked about there, about the monks running yeah. 26, you know, you know, running a thousand marathons, you know, in a thousand days. There's a process in life and it's going to suck. The second it stops sucking, that means in your mind, you believe you've arrived and you're this, I'm comfortable here. My goal in life is to continue to find more about myself. So I'm glad I'm in this pigeonhole right now. If I wasn't here, 
there's no more growth. Without friction, without frustration, without anxiety, there's no growth. There's no growth if you don't sit at home thinking, the fuck, man? I need that in my life. I need that. And I need that to then have something to say, okay, how are we going to process this? How are we going to learn more? Versus looking to the external to find all the fucking answers. The beauty, like I keep on saying, is I now am there at the fuck, man. Why? God, dog, this is crazy. Every night. That's the beauty of it all now. I have friction. And that friction, with that friction, is now more growth. We're all, we're all looking to become Yoda. We're all looking to become Yoda. And or Luke. Or, right. or Luke, but you know, I prefer I prefer Yoda. And it's just really mastering your own mind. And why do all these things bother me? They shouldn't bother me. Because guess what? The truth of the matter is, a guy that lived in a $7 a month place for a lot of years, who couldn't read and write, taught himself all this shit, just wrote a book that's number two behind Michelle Obama. So when we live in all this fucking suck and we're miserable, we often forget exactly where we're at and what we've accomplished. That's the beauty of all the tools I've taught myself. How can a man like me really be upset? I talk to myself this way. How are the fuck are you upset? So, so, but you also have faith that this is temporary. Everything in life is temporary. We are temporary. But, but it's temporary because you're gonna figure out that next way exactly. to be uncommon. I know for a fact I will, mm -hmm. I always have. Always have. And that's why you can write a book. There's theorists. There's theorists. A lot of people are theorists. A theorist, as you know, is a motherfucker that goes to a library and studies. Studies some bullshit that someone else bullshit and wrote about, and that becomes what the fucking shit is. I'm not that. I'm a practitioner. I get all this shit. I see how I feel. I process it all. I realize it. And then I figure out how to figure that out. How am, I going to figure, how am I going to get through this? Which is why that book is powerful because I went and dove myself in hell versus reading about it and figuring out how some other person did it. I dove in it, stayed in it, lived in it, processed it, and figured out the answers by not quitting while I was in hell. And that's why the book has become powerful because that's real knowledge. It's not theorist-based. It's based on practice. And that's why it's powerful. And this will be another one on how to get through this challenge in time of my life. It'll be practice versus theory. And so when you, I, think, I forget which, where I heard it, but you also give, uh, you, do you do coaching for various billionaires or whatever? What have you seen among them? So these are people who have obviously worked hard to achieve where they are. What are they asking you about? <laughs> They don't ask, so they, they, they stay on the surface. Most of them, we like to stay on the surface level. And they wonder why they're not fulfilled. I have billions of dollars. I have a beautiful wife, beautiful family, all this shit. What's wrong with me? It's because a lot of us like to just cover our filth with a blanket. And that blanket mm -hmm. was money. Mm -hmm. Money doesn't do shit. It pays bills. It's important. It really is. But a lot of us disguise ourselves with money, muscle. When I was 300 pounds, I became 300 pounds because I was disguising myself. 
if I look this big gargantuan type of man, I will hide myself from the world. The world will not know how fucking insecure I am. So I will hide amongst all these muscles. Inside that 300 pound person was a very scared individual, but no one knew it because the external side of me looked amazing. I realized that with most human beings, we're all running from something. We're all hiding from something. There's always something chasing us down the fucking block. There's always something that lays back here that we try to forget that maybe if I become a fucking billionaire, it'll just go away. And do they listen to you? All the time, because it's facts. And guess what happens? They start to break down. They start to realize you're fucking right. And it may be something that happened when they're fucking six years old, seven years old, eight years old, 10 years old, and they're now 50, 60 years old now thinking, why the fuck is that still bothering me? Because you never went back and examined it. It doesn't go away. You don't just outgrow it. You know, we have this delusion in our mind that it'll just go away because we're not thinking about it anymore. The mind's a powerful motherfucker, the most powerful thing in the world. It just lays in there, dormant. It's going to creep up on you. You got you to solve it. You got to handle it. You got to face it like the bully in school. He's going to continue bullying you until you bust him in his fucking mouth. So it's almost like it's... Uh, by the way, I don't know what your time schedule is. I could keep on going all day. Jennifer, is he okay? All right, good. <laughs> it's almost like every day there's a bully. Like this morning, yes. you woke up and you're like, you know what? I want to be training for something or I want to be in my cave and working on, you know, what, you know, I want to be embracing the suck there. Instead, I got to go out in New York City, which is horrible and make it to all these different podcasts like mine. And this is just not who I am. You know, it, that was your bully today. Right. And what's funny about that, I have to remind myself is, that book that you are reading right now, that's not who I was either. At all. At all. Like, what are you going to do six years from now when someone says, I want to talk to you about your pull-up record? Oh, I'll be able to talk about Big Time because that's now a scar in my brain. I just see that. That's what I came up with, it, with the callous. Callous your mind over the victim's mentality. When you do 67,000 pull-ups, you see how callous my hands are? Huh. Your hands become very calloused. So all those stories for 43 years, they're a part of me. All that's a part of me. But you have to keep on finding, like, the bully today is the story today. Right. You have There's to keep always on... a new bully. Right. Always new bullies. There's always something like, and, and, I, and you have them too. We all have them. We all have them. Those who are delusional to think, like, we all like to, people I say, why don't you ever talk about the good times in life? You always talk about all the hard times in life. I don't need to fucking teach you about the fucking good times of life. Those just happen. For some reason, they just happen. A smile just happens. That good feeling in your heart, it just happens. Bad times when they happen, a lot of us don't have a fucking clue on how to get through that shit. So I'm not gonna teach about good times. Good times, the good Lord just gave us that ability to feel them. We just feel them. Feel great. It's amazing. We weren't taught on how to handle 90% of our life, which is bad. If you really think about your life, you lived eight years, three years, one year. You're what? How old right now are you? 
50. You're 50. I just count off over 10 years of shit that I know about. And there's a lot more than that, that you had to figure out the tools on how to get through that. So that's why I talk about that. That's why it's ingrained in my mind because I need to constantly remember when time comes out. Like, for instance, my, my brother's daughter got murdered. Me and my brother went through a lot of shit. We stopped talking, all this sort of shit. But the thing about it is I was, you're never prepared for it. But once again, I was training for life my whole life. I always know shit like that's going to happen. That's what life brings you. It brings you those times that are bad, but you have to be ready for them. I think also what you're ultimately talking about at the base is freedom. So, so for instance, you know, I, I was very moving and it's in the book when your, when your brother's daughter died and you had this rocky relationship with your brother, but you know, you drove right out there and I, I got the feeling as I was reading, it was bringing you and your brother closer together, but it's still this horrible thing. The freedom is not, of course, that it's great when a bad event happens, but that when a bad event happens, it doesn't chain you down and make you a victim chained to a rock forever. That's You're right. able to, to still move forward. Someone has to step up in time of need. Someone has to be a leader. When everything falls apart, someone has to be a leader. Not everyone has to, yeah, a lot of people can fall apart. They, I'm, I'm glad you can. I chose, it's a decision that I made from a young kid. I don't want to be that person that falls apart when life does. So, so, so I'm going to ask Jennifer, when is he fallen? When is David falling apart that you've had to like say, David, get up out of bed and you gotta, you gotta do this. Not once. But you acknowledge her in the, in the book that, you know, she was critical for you getting this done. She was critical for me getting it done, but I knew how to get it done. So I'm the hardest person in the world on my, no one has to tell me shit. I know my timelines. I know I have to get done. I am, people always say this, I'm my toughest critic. I mean it. No one has to hold, like this whole life I've developed has developed a, through repetition, a very accountable human being. So what you have right there in your hands is the best product I could possibly come up with. And you talk about accountability a lot, and I know you don't like the word, but the kind of your action reports to, you know, what you've done, what you've accomplished and so on. Um, you know, one thing I thought that was interesting and Tucker will probably, so Tucker Max, his company Scribe or Lioncrest, uh, you know, you went through his publishing company to, to publish this book. Uh you know, you, 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 you basically avoided the mainstream publishers and went your own route. Which I is went to them at first, though. Mm -hmm. I actually had a $300,000 offer from two top five publishing houses that, that I decided to turn down. And that's when I went on my own. So I actually went out, did the normal, you know, you know book auction, you know, book advance, all that shit. And when it came time to sign the papers, um... I'm big into reflection and I'm not about money. I want to own my own life. I don't want to have to ask you what the fuck to put in my book. I, you weren't, no one was there for me through this journey. God, God didn't come down and say, I got your back though. 
it was me against me, and I'd be damned if I sold one copy or a million copies. If I three hundred thousand dollars, my my biggest trophy in life, you're holding it right now. You hold if 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 I die right now on this fucking podcast, I'm the happiest motherfucker on the planet Earth. For me to do what I did, and when I had time to sit back, you know, I made sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year in the military. I'm gonna get that. I'm, I'm gonna get five years of income, you know, pretty much in one check. That's a that's a big check to turn down. I but we live in that. That's my biggest trophy in the world. And by the way, I totally agree with self. I mean, I've published with mainstream publishers before, right. and I've also self-published. Mm -hmm. My most successful books have been all self-published because that's when also you have total control over total. everything. Everything. And they never know what's in your best interest. That's right. Everyone else has got another agenda. 100%. And, I, and I, the scary thing about that shit that pissed me off the most, that's the one fucking thing about this corrupt fucking world is everybody tells you what the fuck is great for you they ain't telling you what's great for you. They ain't what's great for them. And that's what I realized in the self-publishing thing. I went back and reflected on all the fucking conversations I had with all these great, smart fucking people who've been doing this shit for fucking ever. They're feeding you a bunch of fucking bullshit. All the fucking way. Whatever is best for the company, not best for you. Not best for you. Very few people truly care nowadays what's best for you. And that's what made me so sick when this book did great Everybody got fucking mad at me saying your book's going to sell 5,000 copies, maybe 10,000 copies. What, in the first 20 minutes? You know, so you start to look back on these conversations of people that, you know, were pissed off at you because you wanted to do what was right for you. And very people, very few people supported what I wanted to do. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very true statement, what you say there. Very true statement. There's, there, there's some fucking nasty people in society. And that's in every industry. Every industry. If they're... If, for instance, just take a normal job at a big corporation. If your boss says, hey, this is going to be good for you, that's when you got to watch out. Yes. Because he's got an agenda, which is he wants to get promoted. That's right. And he needs you to work. And what's sad about that is that we put a lot of trust in these so-called people of authority. And we trust them that they're good people and they will do right by us. Beware. Not everybody's that good person. So, I mean, again, I have so much stuff. Uh, you know, uh, I have every, I, have, I, I, I could talk to you all day, but I want, there's a couple like random trivia questions I have too. Right. You were the bodyguard for the Iraqi prime minister. Right. What's the craziest thing that happened while, while you were doing that? Oh my God. There were so many crazy things there. Um, I really don't talk about that too much, obviously. I know you, you don't mention your military career at all in the book. No, because <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't about that, but, um, I just got, you know, I think anything I say will probably, it may come back to bite me in my ass. So I have to say it was, a, it was a very unique job for me. It was a unique job for me to be guarding a person from a different country. And um, in, in a time where we're over in Iraq and it can be very confusing at times when you're a U.S. person guarding an Iraqi person. It was it's, it's, it's very it's very unusual to me. Um, you have to really know the bigger picture, and sometimes being a very small person in the very very big ocean, which is war, which is combat, 
you really don't know all the ins and outs because you're so far down the totem pole. You get an order to do something. And a lot of times, all you want to do is sit back and question the order. But in the military, you don't have the right to question the order. You just got to follow the order. So there were a lot of things in my military life that I look back on. I'm like, I wish it was better explained to me. I wish we had a bigger picture. But a lot of times, you have to understand that when you put that uniform on, the, the picture is sometimes very cloudy. And you have to, once again, what I hate, you have to trust man to do right by you, like you and that boss, like me and the publishing houses, me and, me and some agents, me. You have to trust another person to have your best interest in the interest of the team. And you got to trust that process. It's very hard to do that in the military. It's very hard to do that in life. Well, it's almost like you, you did the, all the training programs like Navy SEAL, Army Rangers, and so on, because that was about you. That was about you making you the best you could be at that time in the way you wanted, in the way you felt it would be the biggest challenge. Then suddenly you're in this situation where whatever it is, the big picture is like the publishing house and you have to deal with that kind of suck. That's right. not, that, that's antithetical to how you want to live your life. And the thing about, you know, me going through all the schools is about finding the best I can be so I can be the best leader for other men. That's the whole thing about it, man. Like, People, once again, man, there's so many messages in that book. You have to find your best self. So then when you're faced with all the evil and all the bullshit that the world's going to give you, you are strong enough to say, that's not the right thing for my men. It's not the right thing for my team. You have the courage and confidence by going through the suck. You now have this mental armor, which is what all that was about. Everything in life was developing in mental armor so I can face all the people saying, why the fuck are you self-publishing? Just an example. It's the dumbest thing you ever do. Who's going to buy a book about a black guy who was fat, who's now a Navy SEAL, who couldn't read? If you don't have that fucking armor-plated mind, all that fucking evil is going to penetrate it as it did for me when I was younger because you have no confidence. You can't lead without confidence. All you do is continue to follow. And we follow usually pieces of shit. That's the thing about it. I started seeing this at a young age. I had to develop my own confidence so I can make a decision that big in my life to turn down $300,000 and be confident to lead my small team to where I know I'm trying to get you to a better place for yourselves, not for me, for yourselves. That's what all the schooling's for. That's what all the suck is for. That's what all the getting up early is for. That's what making your bed is for, cleaning the house is for, being a better leader so you can now fight all the bullshit of the world, all the real strong people who are trying to manipulate, you know, manipulate your brain. You now have a very strong foundation. That's what it's all about. The foundation has to be strong so then you can now defend yourself and do what's right for yourself amongst all the people saying you're fucking wrong. Because I've heard it so many times in my life. And if I didn't have that strong foundation to say, I think you're wrong. Well, I bet you the problem you're going to have now, and maybe not, you're going to have fewer people saying you're wrong. You're right. How are you going to deal with that? Well, now it has to be an honest place. I've developed a place of honesty. 
I used to live in the world of lies. You have to live in the place of honesty. What were the lies? Oh my God, dude. Whatever you want to hear. If we're in a conversation right now and you fucking like to go ice skating and you talked about ice skating and I fucking hate ice skating, I'm the best ice skater in the world. <laughs> oh my God, you ice skate? Where do you ice skate at? <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh my God. I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck am I saying? I'm like, ice skating? <laughs> but you want to feel a part of someone. You want to belong. When, when, when you grow up in the world that I grew up in, you never belong to anything. I was the, one of the only blacks. I was one of the only this. That's what I call it the only in the book. The only, we all feel the only. You can be a white person amongst all white people and still feel like the fucking only. I guarantee you feel like the only a lot. You're not a normal human being from what people think is normal. You do your own shit. It comes, you have to have a, a, a big fucking chip on your shoulder and say, no, this is who I am. This is who I'm going to fucking be. It takes a lot of fucking growth to get to that point in your life. To finally walk around and say, you know what? I give a fuck what you think about me. So that's what the whole message is now. If you're fucking different, if you're an outlier, if you're fucked up in a certain way and you're proud of that, be proud of it. Walk around that way. Don't, don't follow the path. Well, what's, what's next for you today? I got to look at the schedule lady over here and see what's next, man. But I'm, I know there's a couple, I know I have a couple calls today. I think I have a couple more podcasts today, but I don't really think about what's, what's beyond. You know, like I do that in certain situations, like, you know, the whole uncommon thing. But I'm really about, when times like this, it's about th being the messenger. So I'm not thinking about what's next. I'm thinking about when James is done with me, I'll go see what's next then. Do you realize this entire podcast, I didn't really care about the listeners. I was really just having a therapy session for myself with you. <laughs> <laughs> I was just asking you questions that were bothering me about me. And you were answering them. And I got it for free. Billionaires are paying for you right. to give them advice. Right. I just got all this great advice for free. Plus, I read your, your amazing book. And, and this is, this again, I've, I've got my highlights all over this book. I've never highlighted a book this much. I don't even highlight books. I read books. Right. So I hardly ever take out a pen and, and write stuff down. So I want to, A, thank you for writing this. For something like a year, people have kept telling me, you got to have David Goggins on your podcast. And I'm like, who's David Goggins? And then I read the book and it's great. It's going to change my life. I'm going to plagiarize all your ideas in one way or other. <laughs> and I'll, I'll change it to like entrepreneurship or something else. I get it. A lot of people have done that with my shit. <laughs> no, I, I get it. Too. A lot of people have done that with my stuff as well. So it just happens. But, uh, uh, but this was a really inspirational book. I'm really happy to recommend it. And I'm going to buy, this is the first time I can say I'm going to buy this book for a bunch of my, my friends and, and for my kids, but my kids will never read it. But, uh, uh, you know, kids are tricky. But uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. This is an amazing book, an amazing podcast. I'm so glad we got a chance to Thank meet. I hope, it's, I hope it's not the last time. Well, I have um, to say, too, that just to not to interrupt you, but the audio version of the book, once again, that's why I self-published. I had an idea. You need to get the audio version of the part of, of, of that book. Did you do it? So, so I always... I did it with two people. Okay. So I had a... So this book, is, it's my life story, but it's about my life story to make you think about your life. So I had another person read it. And we get to certain parts of the book that are marked off 
it's, it's not scripted by any means. So I had this guy go through. I said, look, you read the book, mark it off. His name is Adam. He actually helped me put it on paper. And I said, you go through the book. And off the cuff, we're going to do this. So I'm sitting in it. So we're sitting in two different booths. He's reading it. When it gets to a certain point, it's just an open dialogue about what I was thinking about here. And I get more in-depth on the story he's talking about. And I tell stories that aren't even in the book. And I've gotten the most feedback. They say it's the best audio book of all time because it's basically an audio book where you get the whole book in its entirety. You get a podcast, a radio show, and an interview all in one. And so there's a lot of me in it. It's just it's this very unique style of, of, of what I did. And everybody said, don't ever do that because it's not going to work. And it probably when it's, it's number two podcast out there right now or, or, or audio book out there right now. I believe that works because I can't imagine you just sitting here and like reading no. a book out loud. That would be the most like I've done an audio book for one, only for two of my books. I cannot do I cannot just read the straight book. I had to riff and tell stories the entire time. It's horrible. It's a different product, yes. essentially. And so, so I'll get the audio book because I haven't gone through that. Um, uh, I wanna, I wanna. There's so many things I highlight. I just want to close with like a quote. Uh, let's see. I've got a billion things. I don't know. Each one of these things were important to me, so I guess I'll just let people highlight their own stuff. But. And we've talked about most of the things. Uh, we've talked about almost everything that I highlighted. But, man, thanks again. David well, appreciate Goggins, it, James. can't Thank hurt you. me. And uh, I don't know how often you're in the city, but stop by and we'll do, we'll do another podcast <laughs> next time you're here if you're up for it. I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot, brother. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. 